Okay. Hey, <laughs> cannot say that. Oh, you gotta edit this out anyway. Yeah, you gotta edit this out anyway. Oh, how long has it been? It's been two months. Okay, less than that lah. But it's been a while between episodes. Christmas, New Year has passed. How have you been? Had too much fun. Oh. oh. And I, I would say like also we count on together. So I would say uh, we had a pretty good start to the year. I remember that. Okay, first things first, follow up as usual. So I was, as I was putting together the last episode, I realized that a lot of things in follow up like, branched into very interesting talking points that I just want to share with you. So do you remember we talked briefly, we briefly talked about the cities with the best and worst work-life balance mm-hmm. mm. and we also say something like Singapore is a very overworked country yes we are there's actually a lot of rankings like for example the economist has a version of their most livable cities I think they release their list every year it's always a very interesting list to to look at because like it gives you a sense of like oh where should I migrate to in the future <laughs> Oh, well, interesting. So when you approach the list, you think, where should I migrate? It's for me, I, will, I approach the list with like, let's see, did we made it uh, the first from the bottom this time? But we'll never make it. <laughs> first from the bottom, first from the top. Means All we right. have the worst work-life challenge. <laughs> so there's actually a lot of rankings. So clearly this is a very well-researched issue, but more data doesn't mean it's more accurate. So... I dug around online and one of the more notable studies, right, is the Kisi study. So Kisi is a security company. I don't know why they're doing this, but part of their goal is to maintain a healthy work-life balance with their clients, with their employees, with their customer base and all. So in 2019, they released their first global study about work-life balance and they built a global work-life balance index. Yeah, so last year, 2021, they continued to work on it. So they factored in the impact of COVID and all that. So roughly speaking, their global work-life balance index considers four key pillars, which are work intensity, society and institutions, city livability, and finally COVID impact. So four key pillars. So if you follow the link that I shared, yeah, so you can actually see an array of values and rankings that the team has put together of course this is not conclusive of anything and there's always something to be said about whether they should have included more metrics or why certain metrics are factored the way it is yeah so of course they justify and explain each of their metrics on the site as well they also provide a complete breakdown of all the values so we can compare individually and drop certain metrics if we feel like oh we don't want to compare those yeah so this is a very interesting site it's also interactive so you can actually take a look and really crunch through all the data and really look at it lah. so the place that singapore stands out most is that we are the top two in overworked countries and we are actually the top in one of the things i forgot what <laughs> i see that it's under the segment city livability mm. let me see what icon is this oh, it doesn't... oh we oh, city safety yeah we are top in city safety but that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't mean much okay wait uh, what are the <laughs> other yeah okay it's very surprising because yeah we are, we scored Full marks. 
Yeah, so we are top there. Lah. But we also top the list with uh, remote jobs. Because like, if you think about it, right, if your company can really keep on hiring people, offering them remote jobs, right, then it is kind of a measure towards like work-life balance. Because like remote jobs, it's, a, it's an indicator lah, of your work intensity, like how intense you have to treat your work. Yeah, like remote, you still have to work from home and all that, then you still have to remain contactable and whatnot. Yeah, so there are some interesting metrics there. Oh, interesting. I was looking through the list and I see that we score the lowest, one of the lowest on minimum vacations offered. Oh, no. So we stand at seven days. Oh, that is only a week in a year. Wow. Is that vacations offered? Oh, Oh, yeah, we are. Oh, right. It's offered. Oh, I thought it's. Um, you know, the average vacation days that, you know, Singaporeans take. The third one is the minimum vacations offered. Like what? Among the entire job market, like if you look at the lowest number of vacation days that any job can give, yeah, then the value is seven for Singapore, which is one of the lowest. Oh my, I wonder Yeah, but then if you look at the, the fourth one, the plain nana, the plain icon, is the number of vacation days that are actually taken yeah, and we Which are not bad. Not, not the best, 14. We are not the lowest there. We yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. okay, that's yeah. two weeks in a year. Well, one year has 52 weeks, and we're only <laughs> taking two weeks off. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's interesting to see that uh, Singapore improved from ranking 32. Mm-hmm. Uh, best country with the World Life Balance, we were ranked 32 in 2019, was it? And our mm-hmm, placing mm-hmm. improved. All right. Okay. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah. So it's always nice to see a good study like this. As I said just now, like it's not conclusive of anything. All the data is there. It's just for you to interpret whatever it is. Yeah, I guess it really varies like, based on the industry. Yeah. I mean, it's very hard to quantify the entire country's like economy just by a few metrics. Like. And there are a lot of other things. So we should look at like society and institutions, like what uh, support is given for people who need it, like access to mental health care and how inclusive the country is, how tolerant the country is in general. Yeah, it's very hard to quantify all this, but they did a good job. So yeah, this is just a shout out to them. Continue doing this. Looking forward to the analysis for this year. That's true, Maybe I can share a personal observation that I see. All right. Yeah. Um, so if I were to rank the countries with the best work-life balance, I'll actually rank Australia at the top, but also partially because I don't really work with stakeholders all around the world. So mm-hmm. uh, given my minimum pool, uh, I would say Australia has one of the best work-life balance. Mm. And Korea, Singapore, and Hong Kong, uh, I would say we have one of the most hardest working employees. Hardest working. <laughs> all right, all right. So if you have a deadline at um midnight two three five nine, you can definitely count on employees. Uh, most of the employees based in these three countries. Right, right. <laughs> I feel you. I feel. You. <laughs> but well, not too bad. Good to know where we stand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so. So next thing, I also realized that I spent half the episode ranting about my first world Singaporean problems. So I'll try to rant less. 
<laughs> next time because it's really boring to, I mean, I already know what I'm going to say. So it felt very, I wouldn't describe myself as boring, but like it felt very uncomfortable, like editing like all my rants. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I want to get it fine if you, Yeah. If it makes you feel better at the end of all the rants, I really think it's fine. It does, but I feel like it might paint a very misleading picture that I'm a very spoiled person like just complaining <laughs> about everything I don't know like, okay we'll see how it goes <laughs> yeah yeah we'll see how it goes all right feel free to rant also okay like don't pretend that your life is very happy-go-lucky I know you are disgruntled oh, no, about no. a few things also you can feel free to just talk about them it's totally fine this is a free but podcast don't worry <laughs> yes once you strike my pain point I think it'll be hard to stop me from it. Just keep going. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Perfectly fine. Alright, okay. Next nerdy thing that I stumbled upon. We are still on follow-up, by the way. Okay, let's hurry it along a bit. (laughs) The next point. Okay. The number of ATMs. We briefly talked about this as well in passing because we were talking about like... um, it's also one of my rants like, about credit cards and debit cards and nets. Yeah, so we're talking about like number of ATMs and I was digging around oh. for a good estimate of number, number of ATMs. Like. Yeah. It's very interesting that I found out that this is not usually displayed in absolute numbers. It's usually displayed in terms of like um, number of ATMs per certain number of adults. So it's like, it's a measure of ATM density instead of like, absolute number of ATMs. So for example, in 2020, there were about 54 ATMs per 100,000 adults in Singapore. And this is the standard. I have no idea why it's like that, but yeah, this is the way it is. So I pulled this data from worldbank.org and it's interesting because in Singapore, it's actually higher than global ATM density, which is about 49.6 ATMs per 100,000 adults as of 2019. Yeah, so I wrote down some notes. Okay, the the website, worldbank.org, the website is interactive as well. So if you follow the link that I put, right, I actually included in like um, the Asia Pacific region, I included in worldwide and like uh, high income countries, which apparently we are part of. So yeah, high income countries generally have a higher accessibility to ATM. Yeah, like they have higher ATM density. Yeah, so you can see that globally, right, over the past decade, the global ATM density did not surpass Singapore's one. So actually, we are pretty good in terms of ATM density. Yeah, I look oh, at the graph I thinking, now. Yeah. Oh, I was. I was thinking uh, when you mentioned that they don't display in absolute numbers, I was thinking, is it a security issue? Then I realized, I guess it's because there are some banks that um, share ATM. Oh. So I do know of ATMs whereby... Um, if you're a Citibank card, if you were a Citibank card holder, they sold away their consumer business. And if you're a Standard card holder, you can actually use the same ATM. Ooh. Oh, so I guess that's the reason why um, if you see on the whole, uh, they won't be able to show you absolute number, I guess. But if you <sighs> zoom now to, let's say, DBS, OCBC, you will be they'll be able to give you absolute number. I still cannot find this value. I want to find this value. So if anyone knows how to find it, if you stumble upon these things, you work for a bank, if you can get me values from your bank, I would be very happy (laughs) to look through the values. Yeah, because I have a few issues with 
ATM density because what I want is a detailed breakdown, an absolute number of ATMs by bank or by region within Singapore. Because, right, like, even if banks are overlapping, it doesn't matter, then just count the ATM twice. It's not going to matter. Like, in the end, it doesn't matter if this particular machine can be accessed by both Citibank and DBS. Okay, you see, right, the problem with ATM density, right, is that it can be confounded by birth rate or population. And you see, right, the website also says that um, it's per 100,000 adults. So what is the age of adulthood? Because people younger than adulthood age also use ATMs, right? Like, in fact, they might be responsible for a lot more ATM usage since they might not have access to credit cards yet. Eh? So it doesn't make sense to exclude those people either. I use ATMs a lot when I was a student when I was pre-adult age. Yeah, so it does, I, I don't get, okay, never mind. Statistics is weird and I work with what I have and this is what we have. <laughs> yeah. I guess from a business standpoint, it doesn't make sense to publish such data. Like why would I allocate manpower to you know <sighs> report how many ATMs we have? And from a consumer standpoint, it's as long as you know where to get the money, it doesn't matter how many ATMs there are in Singapore. You make sense. But you see, this is just me ranting again because I want my data to be in a very beautifully arranged way. And like, it's not like you have to send people to count how many ATMs. I mean, you as a bank are literally building the ATM. So like, surely you keep a record, right, of where all your ATMs are and you need to stock them regularly and maintain them and make sure they're not tampered with. So like, why not just release all this? I cannot find it. Really, there isn't, there isn't a ledger of like all the ATMs. There isn't a record. Oh, so annoying. Okay, but it's okay. Some on the banks. I feel banks, um, they already have a lot of like reporting to MES. Like it, it seems like every week, every month, there's some sort of reporting. <laughs> So right. um, cut them some slack la, to you know update MAS on like how many ATMs <sighs> they have or they decide to destroy. And by the way, MAS is the uh, monetary authority of Singapore, which okay, governs sure. like all banks and financial institutions. Yeah, I realize I use the abbreviation without saying what it is. <laughs> Don't worry, people will know. The internet is quite smart. Ah uh, yes, I love the internet. <laughs> all right, we're done with follow up. Okay, moving on. So we started the year well. Uh, we had a countdown and mm-hmm. during that countdown I suddenly had um something hit me and I was like guys <laughs> let's set goals for this year because this year is gonna be our year I may say that every year but this year is gonna be our year I'm trying to think so, of all our years of friendship have we ever like set goals before have we ever uttered the sentence like this year is gonna be our year I don't think we have. I don't think we're this kind of people. So I'm a bit surprised when you suggested that we do this because you don't strike me as this kind of people. <laughs> I guess we do set goals, but we don't do it like formally. We don't, you know, hold each other accountable to it. And I feel this year is going to be our year is a sentence that I keep saying, but this year is going to be our year. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, keep believing what you're going to believe. It's fine. Yes, that's the spirit. So what goals did you set? Oh, okay, at the top of my head, the first goal that came to my mind when I was um, writing down my goals as well was a fitness goal. So last year, uh, I can't remember the exact figure, but I clocked about, I ran about 800 km. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this year, I was thinking of ending up and I set an insane 
wildly ambitious goal of running 1,000 km by the end of this year. It's not so, insanely we'll see ambitious. How this goal. It's not insanely ambitious. Come on, you managed to clock 800 km. It's totally fine. And now I'm increasing it by 200 km. 200 km is a lot. It's only. I didn't say how it goes. It's only a 25% increase. <laughs> That's a lot. 25% increase can totally translate to fine. 250 runs. Totally fine. <laughs> Okay, what about you? What's the first goal at the top of your mind? Yeah, because you infected me with the idea of a fitness goal. I also set a fitness goal, but I was really trying to math it out to make sure like, what goal can I set for myself to ensure that I don't die while trying to achieve this goal? So I aim for, <laughs> I aim for roughly 400km by end of year, which translates to 100 km by the first quarter, then we will readjust and see if the goal was too unrealistic, which I think it was. <laughs> Your goal sounds doable to me, but you already okay, if... it's okay. <laughs> so I have this graph thing that's going to that's tracking our progress, right? So if your progress versus my projected progress, right, you are way above it. <laughs> Of course, my goals are doable for you. You are a chronic runner. You, you run so much. Yeah, but I'm not. I hate running. Never really felt happy after running. Yeah, so this is a huge thing for me. I actually don't. I'm not a huge, huge fan of running. Just I saying. don't believe you. Uh, I don't believe you. No one can I run like so benefit. much. No one can run so much and not love it. You are such a sadist. I don't believe you. <laughs> I'm serious Every time before I You know Drag myself out of the house For a run The inertia is real I believe you Yeah Sometimes it can be quite hard But you manage to overcome The inertia every time Whereas For me It's It's very different <laughs> Yeah It's very difficult I just You just gotta find the The most effective way To coax yourself Or force yourself Out of the house <sighs> What other goals do you have that you like to share? Another goal that is uh, high on my priority list would be better managing my personal finances. Uh, I really think that we should all invest. I really think that everyone should invest. So if my friends and colleagues who are hearing this, they'll probably be like, I've been nagging at you about this for, since you started working. But I haven't <laughs> taken any action. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure why. Maybe it's fear. Yeah, so I would highly recommend everyone to map out your finances and um, not just map out. Do a financial projection of your current savings and spending habits and see how long it takes for you to save 100k, 200k and eventually 1 million. Wow. And you will find a very sad reality. Yeah, it will be many times my lifespan. So what's the... What's the point? Because it's possible to do it in this life actually. Really? So I, I managed to found the age where I will earn a min I was safe, not earn, safe a million. Uh it's a very sad reality. Lah. Mm, would I you cannot like to retire early. <laughs> wow, okay. Sure. Okay. Would you like <laughs> I to have share not that? Age? Sharing, but, yeah. Sure. So it is 57 years old. And it's not it's even okay, January like. of my 57 year, it's December of my 57 year. And that is just 
Susu and that is also um like that is calculated based on the assumption that I have no big ticket expenses. So I I can't have a house, I can't have a family, and then yeah, you take me till when I'm 57 to <laughs> save up to one million. Hence start investing when you're early. The power of compounding. Oh my gosh, I'm sounding like a financial advisor, but mm, I've been mm-hmm. reading some financial books lately. La, so um the power of compounding is it's not a myth, la. It is just me. Yeah, yeah. Just do the calculation. It's good that you have such a goal. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really think that uh we are at the age that we should really do something about it. Not young already. How else? <sighs> so what are some of the other goals that's on the top of a priority list? Yeah, my next goal is also a fitness goal, because I was still riding on the high on of our running goal. <laughs> so oh, wow, next, what fitness goal? My next goal was to swim. I wrote down here 13 times, one, three, 13 times within the first quarter, then readjust. Yeah, so I'm not sure why I chose 13. I think I'm gonna, I was supposed to aim for swim once a week. Then I gave myself some leeway. So end up it's around 13 times. Yeah, but I'm way below. That's more than 13 weeks. Why is 52? That's more than 13 weeks in your first quarter. That's exactly 13 weeks in the first quarter. I gave myself no leeway. <laughs> I'm way behind. I'm way behind. We are six oh, weeks into the... Have you been swimming? No, I swam twice only. We're six weeks in already. I'm 30% of my target. <laughs> so, on one week, set it as your intense fitness week and swim every single day. That is not happening. <laughs> it's not happening so inefficient do you know how logistically challenging swimming is you have to bring your swimming trunks you have to bring goggles right. and you have to go and shower there it's very logistically challenging <sighs> it is yeah and for a lady oh my gosh I have to wash my hair I have to use this thing called conditioner which is uh, kind of a pain in the ass but yeah it makes your hair looks good why do I set such goals? Why do we do this to ourselves? We always do this to ourselves. Why are we like this? No, you always aim high, right? They always say what well, aim high. So if you didn't make it, at least you know, you still progress. But we're gonna miss our goals. So like it kind of makes it pointless to plan for your next goals. It's very demoralizing. It makes you not want to set new goals in the future because you're not gonna meet them anyway. So what's the point? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. This is a very oh, yeah, uh, I- <laughs> I'm sure when we set the goals, right, we did do our calculation. So at that point in time and frame of mind, I did think 1,000 km in a year was possible. I think my calculation might have some uh, careless mistakes here and there. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good that we set checkpoints. So every at the end of every quarter, uh, we will reevaluate. I think it's good. Reevaluate my life. <laughs> oh, that one is on a daily basis. Lah. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, next goal. We have quite a few. <laughs> Are we really going to share the whole thing? I think I have quite a lot. It would take up the entire episode. Mm, okay. <laughs> Maybe we can drop, like, we can just share as per, as and when we want. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I've been following this piece of news for a very long time because this has been, this has been going on a while. So between last episode and this episode, the James Webb Space Telescope was launched and it was a very exciting piece of news throughout the entire scientific community because it's, it's space telescopes, yay! It's been in the works for so long. Yeah, so it's not the first space telescope that we have sent up there, but the idea is that we need telescopes in space 
because the atmosphere blurs out a lot of the light. And also, this is an infrared telescope. So it's looking for light in a different wavelength that we cannot see. But unfortunately, everything gives off infrared light. So we need a way to cool it and shield it. It's an entire engineering marvel that was developed in order to cool the telescope and make sure it remains functional and shield it from the sun and all. So it's very exciting news. I kind of expected us to be recording this episode while the telescope was still deploying. But as of today, no, it's fully deployed. It's there already. It's already functional. So there is no suspense anymore. The reason why it's so exciting is because humanity has always been a very inquisitive species. So Hank Green, the brother of John Green, the author, said something like, I don't know what the point of being a human is, but I know that somewhere close to the root is curiosity. We want to know things. And with the James Webb Space Telescope, we will be able to see deeper and look back into the past further than we could ever before. We aim to answer really big fundamental questions like how do planets form? Is there life elsewhere in the universe? And like, how does the universe work? So like, it's starting to help us answer all these questions. At the moment, it's still undergoing a lot of calibration, but it's already there. The deployment sequence was 29 days long. Nothing went wrong with it. So it was very good. Yeah. And like decades of research finally went into fruition. Yeah. So it's really exciting. We're finally going to get a lot of like nice images and nice studies and analyses. Yeah. Right. So just wanted to share. So this is the first space telescope that we have ever launched. It is not the first space telescope. The other very famous space telescope is the Hubble Space Telescope. Have you heard of that before? No, I haven't. I think it's around our age. Like, it launched when we were in primary school or something. Yeah. Then it's been up there, but it's looking for visible light. So it's looking for light that we can see. Whereas this James Webb Space Telescope was looking for infrared light, which gives you more detail because it is light that we cannot see. And it comes from a huge range of light sources and then if you see a certain type of infrared from that direction you can use spectrometry to trace like what material that star is made of for example and then you can you can gain a lot more insight and gain a lot more answers whereas like visible light like Hubble yeah it's a very standard it's basically what you would see just from space so it's it's still cool but not as not as detailed in a way yeah, so it's not the first space telescope. People have been talking about like the concept of space telescopes, like, the concept of putting telescopes out there so that it's not obstructed by the atmosphere, it's already there. Yeah, Hubble and James Webb, they are not the they're not the only ones. There are a lot of others but as well. It, like this James Webb space mm-hmm. telescope is the first telescope that's able to like what's that capture infrared light? Is it the first? I believe so. Because infrared is not very practical. It's, it's, it's not very practical to try and capture because everything emits infrared light. So if you have an IR, like infrared telescope on Earth, right, you wouldn't be able to capture anything meaningful from space because the Earth itself would contaminate the image with so much IR light. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Lah. So I feel like, yes, it is the first IR telescope, but we have other IR detection tools like elsewhere, maybe they're looking at the sun, maybe they're looking at other planets, but this is the first 
generic like IR telescope that is out there in space looking for like in the infrared spectrum. Yeah, so we're able to see a lot of things. Amazing. Oh, okay. I wonder if they were live stream, you know, what the telescope is able to capture out there. Yeah, but I think it's not such a straightforward process because I think like the mirror, the telescope mirror is very big. So it's supposed to like capture the photons of light and then slowly composite an image that it can take like a few months just to create one image, something like that. So like live streaming that be a bit underwhelming. Uh. They did live stream the launch of it. Maybe I can link a video of that. Yeah, but most of it is like uh, simulated graphics, uh, like computer-generated CG graphics of the telescope in space and whatnot. Yeah, so because like the launch itself is actually, you can only see it for such a short while, then it's gone already, you can't see it. <laughs> yeah, so... There's a oh, lot of, okay. yeah, but you can see the control center. You can see like theoretically what's supposed to happen and the communication that goes behind it. It was a very organized event. Yeah. Very well done. Yay. We're all very happy. I've actually never, oh, I've actually never seen uh, such a launch before. Maybe I'll, I'll, check, mm-hmm. out. I'll check it out. Okay, okay. So, so since you shared something that you've been following or you've learned, I was thinking like, uh, why not share, you know, a lesson that I learned also um, not too recently, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I guess it's still worth sharing. So all right, all right. it was a post that I saw on one of the social media platform oh. and the caption, um, single income, single identity. So to sum up the post, so there's an image of it, uh, which I can share later and also a description. So basically, is a mouse that was put at the top of a jar that's filled with rice grain. Then the mouse was very happy because there's so much food. So he doesn't need to run around searching for food. And he just stay comfortable and enjoy the grains. But in a few days' time, after he finished um, more and more of the grains, he reached to the bottom of the jar. And now he's trapped and cannot come out of it. So he has to solely depend upon someone to put rice grain into that jar for him to survive or even get out of the jar. So this whole image illustrates um, the point that, you know, like short-term pleasures can lead to long-term traps. But what I actually got out of it is uh, more of like, you have to constantly put yourself outside of your comfort zone. Like don't stay put just because it's comfortable. Mm, Okay, okay. That's very interesting. Tapping on a personal experience, I'm not sure if I shared this before. I started my career in a graduate program and mm-hmm. people might say I'm a bit salty about it, but I wouldn't recommend the graduate program to most of my juniors or even like people even considering to join a graduate program. Not that the graduate program exposure is not good. It's just that maybe I enter it with the wrong mindset and so more on the mindset later. But something that I feel I've been sharing to a lot of my close friends is that if you know what you want in your career, don't join a graduate program. Go straight for whatever you want. Because graduate program, to be honest, it kinds of waste, not saying waste, it kind of, like the time spent in a graduate program doing all the different job rotations, you could have spent it on focusing and like specializing in whatever you, you know you already wanted. Ah, okay, okay. So to put it very bluntly, graduate program gives you variety, but mm. no specialization. Yeah. It might work so for some people, me, right? Like, it might work for people who 
might not necessarily know what they want yet. So they want a variety of exposure, like uh, a lot of rotations to help them like eventually decide what they want. Yeah, so maybe it might work for these people. Yes, I feel it, it is perfect for people who, you know, wants to employ such a strategy when mm. they start their career. So that brings me to why I had a wrong mindset because before I even started working, I was having the thought that I want to specialize in something. Mm. And graduate program is actually not aligned with what I actually wanted. Ah, okay, so, okay. But the graduate program has its credits. is very, very, very good exposure. Yes, so uh, what do I want to say? Oh, so linking my um, wrong mindset of entering the graduate program. During the graduate program, I had like about five to six rotations and every rotation is very comfortable because you know that you wouldn't lose your job. Every time <laughs> the rotation ends, you'll right, move right. to the next rotation. Mm. Yeah, so like the, like the mouse at the top of the grain of the jar of grains, every rotation just comfortably nibbling on the rice without like realizing that the graduate program is not aligned with what my strategy that I wanted to employ when, you know, starting my career. Mm. So in the end, at the end of the graduate program and like the mouse in the jar of grains, I was put into survival mode. I had to depend on people pouring in grains into the jar for me to even, you know, survive and get out of the jar. Mm. Yeah. So this is one thing I learned and I feel that um, as comfortable as it gets, like, like, I know graduate program can be very, very comfortable because you have job security. You know, after this rotation, the next one is coming. You know, you will never suffer a pay cut because it's a graduate program. It's a fixed pay. Mm. So it is very, very comfortable. Yeah, but it's really not the best way to be, I would say not the best way to be starting your career or even not the best way to spend your 20s. Right, right. Okay, la. so I can see your point that it's short-term pleasures. So the grad program like, in general is a short-term pleasure because like you know it's gonna be there. So it's very a, it's a very pleasurable experience. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like there's a comfort. So you will get used to like a certain type of um spending habits or even routine. Ah, then, okay, okay. I'm not saying that it's bad. It may be good for some people. It really mm. depends on what you want, uh, what you like and what you what you want out there. Like. Yeah, but for me, when I was forced into survival mode, uh, I felt that it was one of my lower points in life. Ah, so, okay. um, just happened, I was sharing with uh, a close friend about my experience in the graduate program. I realized that, um, yeah, this is something, this is a mistake that I never want to repeat again. Mm, if I'm okay. in survival mode, I don't want to be forced into it. I want to, be, to willingly choose to go into survival mode. So how do you think you can learn so, from this in the future? So I think one important thing that I've been reminding myself ever since I got into the survival mode and get myself out of it is really just because it's comfortable doesn't mean that you should stay put. You should mm. always, always put yourself outside your comfort zone. You should make yourself uncomfortable. Do things that scare <laughs> the hell out of you. Sure, sure. Yeah. In your 20s, I believe, now looking back, in your 20s, I believe it's not a time for you to get comfortable. Oh, <laughs> it's a very okay. strong statement but um, yeah if, it's, if there's something I can tell my 21 year old self uh, mm-hmm. as cliche as it sounds I'll be like um, don't get used to being comfortable start hustling yeah so yeah okay yeah. but doesn't so, this uh, like okay let's look at it in a different way like this will sound very harsh but 
let's say hypothetically, if you get retrenched or fired from your job right now, that's throwing you into survival mode as well, right? Because now you got to go hunt for another job. If we look at a job as though it's comparable to a short-term pleasure as well. Uh. So if you're comfortable in your job now, like it still doesn't mean that job might belong to you forever. Things might still happen. Economy might still change and you might find yourself in the next survival mode. And that's not your choice, obviously. No one wants to be found in that situation. But what can you do to cope with this this situation or possibility better? Is there anything that you you have found like this or anything? Um, Can you look at things in a different way? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that context, um, back to the mouse in the full grain, full jar of grain. Mm-hmm. If I were to lose my job, means I the jar of grains was taken away from me. Yeah. But the mouse is not trapped. The mouse can find another jar of grains. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah, so I think the point to drive at is to not make yourself, you know, go into survival. But I think it's inevitable somewhere <laughs> right. along the road. Like, but to yeah. mitigate the risk as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Try to learn as much as you can in your own job and also learn things outside of your job. So I think one thing that I find useful is sometimes when people ask you for a favor, ask you to do things or ask you whether you want to try something, it's not within your job scope, but just go and do it. If you're free, if you're curious about it, just go and try. Right, right. Yeah. So that's one thing that I've learned. And hopefully in the next time I get forced into survival mode, uh, it will not be as depressing. As it has been yeah. for me. Lah. Mm-hmm, okay. That was bad. That was low. <laughs> oh. Okay, lah, I'm sure you will be able to handle it better. I mean, now that you have more experience. I mean, I reckon one of the reasons why it was so bad that time, right, was because it was your first real job. And it was probably the first time, possibly lah, the first time that you felt so like misguided, like without a sense of purpose or direction. Lah. That's why it felt so devastating yeah so that's not gonna happen again because it's only one first time that you are so confused about everything the next time you encounter something like that even if it's not your choice right you will definitely be able to deal with it better yeah and don't forget that i hope so your your friends are here you will have a lot of support to guide you through this difficult time don't worry okay Thank you. Thank you for sharing. That was really nice. Yes. Any rants for this week? Oh, that is a very huge one. But are we really going to do this? We're going to do this. <laughs> you know you want to. Oh. <laughs> okay, so this is going to be a very tricky thing to talk about in such a public setting. But I need to get this out there, especially since I have decided that this is an important part of my identity which it is. Wow. So part of the reason I say contentious stuff in public, right, is so that I can learn more about the opposing points, like what factors are preventing people from thinking the way I do. And often I realize, right, like when people take the time to patiently explain nicely to me, then I still disagree with you, but hey, you don't seem as crazy a person as you did before. So, like, I, <laughs> I understand the opposing side a bit better. Yeah, when people explain okay. nicely, like, instead of shouting and arguing. Yeah, like, 
all of you don't seem as crazy and irrational. Yeah, everything is multifaceted. Everything has different perspectives. But okay. if, I learn, mm-hmm. if I learn about opposing arguments, right, I will also come up with new ways to defend against those opposing thoughts. So like we are able to delve deeper into the debate. Okay, the trigger for this conversation is McDonald's getting rid of single-use disposable straws. So you can see the post. I'm going to share the post. It's an Instagram post. It's here. Okay, so <laughs> it's going to be in the show notes. Yeah. For those of you who know me in person, this is you will know like, that this is a very important issue to me. Okay? You know how there are people campaigning against plastic straws? Or more specifically, they want single-use plastics to be abolished. Like. Yeah, so I'm just going to refer to them as plastic straws from now on. Yeah, but it's single-use that is important like, because you use it once and you throw away. That's the idea of it. I am very passionate about this too. I fight this fight, but I fight it in the opposing direction. I'm fighting for single-use disposable plastic straws to stay, all right? It's specifically for straws, but also the convenience of all the other cutlery that's out there also. For a lot of individuals and many organizations, getting rid of plastic straws seem to be the solution to decrease plastic use, all right? This phenomenon is part of a recent awareness of environmental impact and whatnot. A phenomenon, this phenomenon is called greenwashing, where companies try to show that they are being sustainable and eco-friendly. If you think about it, getting rid of plastic straws is the least helpful solution that is still considered a solution. What I'm trying to say is that plastic straws are low-hanging fruit. They are the least helpful solution that's still somewhat a solution, right? People often talk about plastic going into the ocean and they share horrific images about turtles getting suffocated by plastic straws and bottle caps and whatnot. But the issue is really a containment issue. We should focus on keeping trash where it should be instead of just abolishing its use, you know, upstream. Like, plastic in the ocean, like, it's not because we are using plastic. I mean, it, if we don't use plastic, there won't be plastic in the ocean. But the main, the root cause of plastic in the ocean is because there is a problem with our trash containment. We are not safeguarding our rubbish well enough, all right? And also, most plastic in the ocean does not come from straws. They come from other things like fishing nets, other marine waste, and land waste like styrofoam boxes, food packaging, like bottle caps, plastic grocery bags, and all that. So while researching this, I'm also aware that most ocean plastic is already worn down into microplastics. So the source of it is not really identifiable. But the main issue I'm trying to say is that ocean plastic is a containment issue. We need to start thinking of how to stop our consumer products from getting into the ocean, not to abolish its use altogether. Because if you think about it, right, what are the alternatives to these products? What is the alternative to plastic straws? Are we going to replace bottle caps? I don't see a replacement for bottle caps. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there forever. So we tried to replace plastic straws. One of the substitutes is metal straws. If we don't do something about trash containment, right? your metal straws are going to end up in the ocean and stabbing some turtle in the eye. I always say this. Yeah, so it's a very horrifying image if you want to think about it. Yeah, so we have to do something about Recycling plastic straws as well. The very stupid reason why we cannot recycle plastic straws, right? 
is because they are too small and flimsy and it will get caught in the recycling plant machinery. I always find this such a stupid reason because if we really want to do something about it, right, then we should develop machines and processes that can really target recycling plastic straws, right? Okay, so you can tell from all my rants that I'm very consumer-centric. I only care about my own well-being as a consumer, especially when I'm paying for stuff. Like last episode, we talked about cashless payment and I made my stance very clear. I only care about consumer's convenience. So PayWave should be like part of the law. So like all companies should have PayWave. It's not a competition anymore. Okay, so this is important. I don't want the planet to die, but I do care about my own experience as I'm consuming my beverages. If there was a viable alternative that provides the same experience, mouthfeel and everything, right? all the advantages of single-use disposable plastic straws, I would definitely go for it. So I have a table. Hazel, you have not seen this table, but I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to send it to you on Telegram right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can hear your question. Comparing every single alternative material of plastic straws, of straws, lah, and why they all suck. Because plastic straws, which is known as single-use straws lah, in this table, single-use straws, they have no disadvantages, like in this table at least. Like, and you can see like everything else presents some form of disadvantage. So like, for example, you, we look at things like whether they pose an allergy risk, whether they pose a choking hazard, because this is important to some people, whether it's positionable or not, like single-use straw, sometimes you can, they have that thing where you can position, like where you can bend the straw and then, for some people, it's swallowing disorders, they need that. So it's accessibility friendly, you know. Then you have things like some materials will dissolve with long use, like paper, pasta, and the biodegradable ones. And basically, every non-disposable, like reusable straw, right, has sanitation issues. Like, it's not possible to sanitize it properly. Yeah, and metal straws usually come with this brush, but it's not enough. And metal straws also have a very high cost and they have glass straws, which are choking hazard and it's really terrible. So the alternatives are metal, paper, glass, silicone, acrylic, pasta, bamboo, and biodegradable ones. And all of them have disadvantages. So where I'm coming from is really about the mouthfeel. I don't see any material that provides a good alternative for the mouthfeel of it. I don't like the feeling of a metal straw because I feel very vulnerable. My mouth feels very vulnerable. Like, I could stab myself anytime. I've never stabbed myself before, but it feels like I could. So I don't like it. And like a plastic straw poses less danger and I can afford to like be a bit more relaxed and less uptight about where the straw enters in my mouth, you know? Yeah. So okay. that's all like where I'm coming from. It's just like that. So I want to share about what I do like day to day. I have a plastic straw pouch a straw pouch. I call it a straw pouch. So since I'm advocating, advocating for this movement, right, I have to act like it. So I go out of my way. I mean, it's part of my life now. Lah. I buy single-use disposable plastic straws and carry a stash of it around wherever I go. And I use them like disposable straws. Lah. I use them as they're supposed to. Lah. So I often would give out like plastic straws to my friends as well, like especially when we are at restaurants that don't provide them. Yeah, so I would just, 
it's a very good opportunity as well because if they are against the movement, I would just forcefully drop the straw into their drink and say uh, like, oh, it's already in. What do you want to do? It's going to get used whether you choose to utilize it or not. So what now? I think it's a very power move. And I think there's no way they can really refute it because if they throw it away right away, it's still proving my point that like all this plastic is going to waste. I want and I intend to use it as single-use disposable plastic straws. And there's a lot of reasons, like mouthfeel, hygiene and everything. Yeah, so I don't want the planet to die. That's not, that's not where I'm coming from. That's just a whole side effect thing, yeah. But I only care about my own experience. So like, I had one friend who was very worried after I gave him uh-huh. a plastic straw because he was like, oh, you have a stash of it. Then after he finished his drink, he very innocently asked me like, oh, so do you want this back? Do you want me to wash the, sink, the, the plastic straw? <laughs> he was genuinely worried because I just gave it to him without asking him much. Yeah. And then I was like, no, I intend to use it like a disposable straw. Throw it away, you freak. <laughs> As though he's the weirdo. But <laughs> yeah, okay. That's basically what I have to say. Do you have anything you want to add on? I can attest to that. As crazy as in myself, I can attest to that. When I go out with you and when we are like food places that doesn't give us straw, he would literally take out his pouch of straws <laughs> and offer us a straw. Yeah, this is true story, 100% true. Those places need to but be shut down. Eh? Uh-huh. Oh my god. They are not qualified to be food places eh, if they don't even. It's like if a place, if a restaurant doesn't provide tissue paper or napkins or serviettes. Yeah, so like you, you just have to bring your own, you know, because serviettes are very environmentally unfriendly, you know, so like that that place would not qualify as a food place anymore. Yeah. Wow, strong opinion. But what do you think of, so McDonald's um, got rid of their straws and they replaced it with these um, cat oh, things. Right. yes. Okay. What do you think of it? I thought it was going to change my life. I thought I was finally going to be on board with like, oh yeah, sure, I can totally drink without straws. So what happened was I returned home with my drink and I opened it. It was a good feeling that I opened and the cap can actually stick on the, the top of the lid lah, so it stays open. It's quite an interesting experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Then I took one drink out of it like I'm supposed to. Like I used it the way that it was supposed to be used. And then I didn't like it at all. I instantly put in a plastic straw because I cannot. It's, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. I don't want to. Why not? I have so many ways to answer this question. I don't have a very <laughs> organized way to deal with it. But one of the things is you have to lift up the cup. Every time you want to take a drink, you have to support the weight of the entire drink. That's a lot of effort, eh? I would rather I put the drink on the table and I move my mouth closer to it <laughs> like a plastic straw enables you to. Yeah. So imagine if you're eating and your hands are dirty and you still have to touch your condensation filled cup just to lift it up, to drink, and you have to hold it properly because if you drop it, it will start to spill and oh my god, it's a whole mess of problems and it doesn't feel good when you drink it like that. The eyes will get in the way and then it will just smoosh and then it might splash onto your shirt. You won't face this kind of problems if you just drink with a straw. You see, these are the things that I think about. It's about experience. It's about the money that you pay for it and the 
centuries of R&D that have brought us to this point. And just because you want to appear like you, you want to be environmentally friendly, you just remove this one product. I feel like it's a cost-cutting, oh. it's really a cost-cutting initiative. It's by dropping an entire range of straws, yeah, like by dropping an entire product uh, from your manufacturing, yeah, it's really a cost-cutting thing because you will save a lot of money, but you are not actually saving the world by that much also because now you have to factor in the R&D for the new fangled lid that you have that you have to support this then I'm sure it has more plastic than the previous one yeah and don't forget you're still McDonald's is still doing a lot of plastic packaging and all like the top producers of plastic is um textiles construction and packaging packaging is very inevitable we cannot yeah I, I know I researched this a lot okay this is very I this is just off the top of my head. I know this. Yeah, so construction and textiles, we can't really get rid of those. Lah. And like textiles is because clothes, nylon, and a lot of synthetic plastics, like think about shirt buttons, like how many buttons end up in the ocean and choke all the turtles. Yeah, but can't really avoid them. Yeah. And then like think about things like electronics and packaging. Like there's a lot of things that need to be kept fresh, kept fresh. Yeah, and like we, we just need to deal with that. Like we just need to deal with like all the plastic that we are we are making. Uh. So the real thing is about like uh recycling plastic if you really want to do something about it, not not just banning its use, because we've spent one century to RD plastic so that we can use it like how we want to, yeah, so that it can improve our lives. This is very important. I don't want to go back to like grocery bags made of paper that my Ice cream can fall out of the bottom because it got too wet. Okay. Yeah, this kind of problem should not happen again. Yeah, it's, it's like last decade's problem, last century's problem. Yeah, it shouldn't be happening today. Yeah. I understand. Oh my, I can feel your passion for both <laughs> straw and yes. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I need to say something for the businesses. <laughs> not that, okay. Screw but your I business-centric can... perspective. I know. But, <laughs> but, okay, first I can relate to the part about how um you're not coming from a perspective that you know you want the world to die you don't care about the environment mm. i care about the environment to the extent that it's convenient for me also mm-hmm, so uh, mm-hmm. i can relate but from business standpoint i feel i feel um they probably had a discussion on like we should reduce plastic and i can totally see myself being the person in the boardroom saying so we should nip it at the butt and let's stop producing straws i feel i'll be someone like you know, this is potentially something that I I feel I can I might say in a meeting. Yeah. So to protect the environment, like a single let's face it, a single consumer alone is not enough. One person strongly believes that we shouldn't use straw is not enough. So to actually see an effect, right? We need big corporations to do it. And McDonald's is a huge corporation. FME is a huge corp. is a huge industry. So um, them taking the lead and stop producing straw. I think it's a uh, right move lah, to actually, nah. you know, like, <laughs> see some effect. Okay, but, you see, right? You see, so, right? Okay, okay, you complete first. So I complete. wanted to, okay. Mm. But if you stop producing straw and you change your cap into this other fancy cap that enable, you know, user to drink directly, right? Okay, so your plastic consumption in manufacturing must be lower than your initial level. If it's not lower, then this is a waste of time. Yeah, I get you. I get what you're trying to say. So 
in the industry, right? In the green industry, they don't measure, they don't necessarily measure just by absolute amount of plastic. They factor in this thing called the carbon footprint. Yeah. Yeah, which is like how much like more pollution do you have to release into the atmosphere basically like very yeah, the greenhouse terms. Gas emission, yeah like whatever that. things pollutants you have to release into the atmosphere just to produce this so if your manufacturing processes right, are not sustainable sustainably sourced also right then it contributes to a higher carbon footprint as well so i do agree with you like from the point of like if you want to save the planet it's up to the corporations, but then people with a comparative preference for like quality of life, like I do, right, would start to boycott those companies. So the real solution, right, to if you really want to save the planet, this is a very good solution, is to implement it legally on a national level. Like government says you cannot produce plastic straws if you produce plastic straws, you cannot have business in our country. Then businesses will be yeah, forced to follow. No, of course, this is a solution. This is the solution. Because, like, I know, I see, I don't want the planet to die either. Yeah, that's not, that's, I don't factor in that into my decision matrix at all. So, like, I know how to think of solutions that are just geared towards saving the planet. I know that this is the solution. It's not just corporations. It's the legal system. And some countries, some cities have already started rolling this out. But the problem is that there's no good alternatives. I think some cities in the US, because the US is such a diverse country, the laws differ by state and by cities as well. So like some cities have actually started banning like single-use plastics and all kinds of single-use plastics, including plastic bags like grocery bags that kind of thing which in the asian household is a very important item yeah so there is no alternative that is good enough your cotton tote bag the carbon footprint that is required to produce your cotton uh, tote bag for example is about seven thousand times you need to use that cotton bag about seven thousand more times which is about like 10 or like 20 years yeah, 20 years, I think, yeah, like in order to live up to its carbon footprint compared to a single-use plastic bag. Yeah, so those areas, like I think it was Seattle, I don't know, I need to fact-check this. Yeah, but some areas uh-huh. in the US have already started to ban single-use plastics and they don't have plastic bags and, and stores have like started to go back to paper bags, which is a terrible idea. Yeah because we spent so long wow. moving away from that. So I think it's a very stupid, like even the best solution, yes, it does wonders for saving the planet because this way it ensures that every company has no advantage. Everyone cannot produce plastic anymore. If not, you cannot conduct business in this country. Yeah, and if the entire world adopts this, then of course it would be great for the environment. But I, I still wouldn't want to live in a world like that. I want, I come from the point of convenience for me. Convenience only i don't care about profits i don't care about if the company really wants to save the planet or not yeah <laughs> i think from a consumer standpoint it's true um but for me i just think as long as it's practical it's, it's okay i don't have a solution for this i don't think there's no solution i also don't think there's any alternative but i feel that corporations taking a step it's 
a good move. No, but you have to understand that <laughs> these corporations, right, don't actually want to save the planet. They just want to cut costs. No, it's all profit. Yeah, they just want to cut costs, which is still bad because you're not even doing anything. You are trying to... I'm not, as a consumer, I'm not paying lesser to get your newfangled cat. Yeah, because you are selling one less product. I'm not paying any lesser for my meal at McDonald's. You know, I'm still paying the same thing. So I would expect the quality to be the same or at least improve over time. I shouldn't be facing a diminished experience when I consume my meals, when I consume any product. This is such a stupid thing. I don't, I don't think I have to highlight it explicitly. Why can't people just understand this? Like your quality of life should always uh-huh. be improving, right? Oh, so I don't understand. That's so true. The corporation is trying to save money by jeopardizing our quality of consumers' life. I don't think that's justified at all. Huh. If I'm a CEO and someone presents this argument to me, and if I think it's only a small population, I, I would just close one eye because it's the investors who I need to please. Right. That's the, that's the problem with running a business because eventually, right, no decision that you make is your own decision. You're always guided and pushed along by other market factors that way out of your control. So in the end, it's just a big theatrical game. Everyone's just trying to appear the best. Everything is just a PR game. I hate this so much. I I just want to be happy with my straws. Yeah, you know, give businessmen, you know, some some credit. I mean, like, that's the whole reason why they started business. It's all about profits and bottom line. It's all about doing good. Go and start a non-profit organization. But if they're in the money-making business, it's all about cutting costs and, you know, pleasing my investors, boosting my share prices. So, (laughs) mini consumers like us, ah, yeah, means nothing to them. I understand. And I understand, like, people like me are quite rare. I haven't seen anyone else who is so adamant about this as me yet. Yeah, but I'm sure there are people who agree with me as well. It's just that we are not vocal enough. That's why... No corporation in the right mind would start to produce plastic straws, like would go in the opposite direction in order to appease and retain such customers. We are not big enough. Yeah, I also understand it's in the end, it's all a numbers game and we don't matter. My voice oh, doesn't matter. To, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> interesting to know, but you go, girl, take that passion and yeah, you know, I'm, channel it <sighs> to act other things as well, and strongly advocate for it. That is admirable. I'm very worried though, like if Singapore decides to ban single-use plastics, I would not be able to legally obtain like plastic straws anymore or like plastic bags. So this is a problem. So I feel like as a society, like as Singaporeans, we are not there yet. We are still very... um convenient base reliant on plastic yeah we are still very reliant I'm very happy that our society is so lazy I love it yeah so at the moment like no politician is saying that like oh we are starting to look towards reducing even if companies are reducing um, plastic use right it's also it's still an option if you throw money at the problem yeah so like NTUC for example if you go grocery shopping you pay extra for the shopping bags 
donkey if you mm-hmm. buy something you have to pay extra 10 cents or something for the bag it's yeah. a negligible cost but it stings to some people so the idea is to try and get people to try and wean off this habit of using of purchasing plastic bags now I would happily throw money at it because I come from a place of like quality of life and convenience. So of course, I would happily throw money at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it can't please everyone. So it can't please everyone. Some people, like you charging them for plastic bag, some people, it works. They would actually cut their plastic usage. Some people, it doesn't. It's hard. can't please everyone. <laughs> All right. But, that wow, is, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting that is the end you. of my very long rant about... <laughs> straws and plastics and consumerism and this is a very deep-seated issue feel free to talk to me about it more if you think about anything that might supplement this discussion i'm sure a lot of points will come in in the future if you think about these things if you think about something at 4 a.m oh wow i think you start a blog post on this like you type your rants out and then you publish it oh my the discussion you generate the thing is I don't think the discussion would ever, like, I don't think my opinion would ever end because I can talk about this for hours. At this point, right, I feel like I can rebut everything. I can rebut every reason that, like, environmentalists are throwing at me. They're, like, saying things like, oh, it's for the ocean. You know, plastic can't be recycled, so we shouldn't be using it at all. Yeah, so I can rebut everything already. It's already not, uh, it's an endless discussion, lah. Maybe and, I should try. Maybe there'll be one environmental mm, activist uh, that, you know, change, make, make you stump or change your mind. Maybe. You dare to even suggest something as ridiculous as that? <laughs> well, you never know. There are very different, there are many different types of uh, people out there. It's not like you, you don't know how stubborn stuff. I am about this issue. This issue is very important to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's something you believe strongly in, but yeah, yeah. you never know. You never know. Life happens along the way in the end it doesn't matter my voice doesn't matter because it's such a small proportion of the population yeah it's all a numbers <laughs> game it's fine oh that was interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay let's talk about more lighter and happier stuff mm-hmm. also happier stuff alright what's next we have the content creation guide by the work salary man this is the second time we are featuring their work but this was oh. I think this was published quite long ago. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about this because they put together a rough guide about content creation and we also started to look into like this podcast and this work. So we feel like it's interesting. Yeah, we can talk about it and compare our processes of like creation and what's the difference between our processes. Yeah, and the different motivations of being content creators lah. As you might have known already, this podcast started off quite... I don't think there was a good reason for starting this podcast. It was just like, we wanted to do something interesting. So why not? Yeah, exactly. It's more of a why (laughs) not idea. Yeah, so we managed to make it work so far. Yeah, and it's a very different thing for a semi-corporate entity like the Work Salaryman and a lot of other entities out there. Yeah, so... It will be an interesting comparison now if we look through it. But now that I'm looking at it, right, their post is actually a pretty long one and it's been a pretty long time since I looked at it. So I don't remember everything. Yeah, I remember it's a lengthy post. It is, it is. Because content creation is also one of those rabbit holes that you can talk about it 
for hours and it will end without a conclusion because everyone has different takes on it. We both kind of create our own content as well on the side. You write your, your articles and I write my articles as well and I do some other creations as well. And all of our perspectives are all different. My perspective among my different projects is different as well. Yeah, so there's really no conclusion for this. We can just explore what they have to say and we can see what we can apply to our podcast and what doesn't. Yeah. So as you were saying, so different people got different style of content creation. And I, I just wanted to say, like, I guess that's the beauty of it. I believe that's the beauty of it. Everyone it has is. their own style. What for follow someone else's one? It'd be so boring if everyone has the same <laughs> content creation style. Yes, yes. So looking at the, the work salary man content creation guide, what do you think is something that stood out? One of the things that I really like is the, what do you call that? Persuasive techniques. This is a very big topic in philosophy. I don't know if you encountered this before. Usually it's presented as a, Logos, pathos, ethos. Yeah, but they also um, factor in one more, which is uh, kairos, which is timeliness. Yeah, I like to think about it like that also when oh. you're creating something. It's always when you're writing something, like especially because it's a lot about how we communicate ideas and how we persuade someone to do something, whether it's a call to action or whether it's a come aboard and join my school of thought kind of thing. So it's always a good idea to think about logos, pathos, ethos. Logos being appeal to logic. Pathos is emotion because I'm not a fan of emotion. So I feel like emotion is a form of pathology and it's pathos. Yeah. And wow. ethos being a credible source and being about identity and being about your own intrinsic values of who you are you are like this therefore you should do this yeah something like that and i feel like as some entity that is reporting about current events and relevant events right it's important to think about kairos the timeliness of your argument so no one would want to read something that is outdated i think it's fair to say that yeah but of course it is a very it is a statement that is full of caveats because like Okay, let me phrase this properly. I say that it's full of caveats because as something is happening, right, when something is unfolding somewhere in the world, that is the worst possible time to know about it because all the facts are all jumbled up. No one knows what's, what's the truth. No one knows what's the impact of this. No one knows like what's the implications, what is the best cause of action right now. So as something is happening, right, it is the worst possible time to know about the issue because everything is wrong or everything is still unconfirmed. However, it is also the time that we most want to know about what's happening because it's relevant. It's happening right now. I want to know what's happening. I want to stay relevant. This is the dilemma of being a human. So like you see, like there's going to be a lot of conflicting information out there but yet we still want to know more about it and we want to know more about it so that we can do what we can argue with people about it and ultimately we will argue with people that also have nothing to do with this situation like there is a war out there or this boat has blocked this canal happened earlier last year stuff like that yeah okay i was Mm. thinking the like you know what people are speculating and 
like how you use the information is not to argue, is to start formulating a backup plan. How does this gonna affect me? What are people out there saying? How can I mitigate the risk? But how can speculation so, help you with a backup plan? It doesn't give you a concrete backup plan, but mm. at least it gives you a general idea. So speculation gives you a general sensing of what is happening and how you use speculation to give you a general sensing of how your backup plan is going to look like. Mm. That's what I would say. It's a terrible strategy though because when something is happening, there's going to be a lot of speculation. And if it's something big, there's going to be a lot of conflicting speculation. So how you need to set up a system, like how to filter, which sources to trust, for example. Then you can start to make your own informed decision, like how to mitigate any damages that are supposed to supposedly gonna happen. Yeah. So stay woke. Like most things, not <laughs> just crises, everything, even factual news, stay everything with a pinch of salt. Have a healthy skept- level of skepticism. Don't believe Google yeah. more, read more. Okay, you see, right? I brought up the point about relevance and accuracy being inversely proportional <laughs> because eventually, right, even if you want to read out about a certain event that happened, like let's say the stock market crashed or something, while it is happening, right, it is a very bad time to learn anything factual about it. And hence, it is a very bad time to think about your future actions. But let's say it's one year from then and you want to look back, then someone does an in-depth analysis like one year ago that stock market crash, yeah, and then publishes an article about analysis of what went wrong. Uh, a very famous example would be the, um, when was it? The You know the movie, The Big Shot? Like what financial? Oh, I love it. Yeah, which year of the stock market crash was that based on? Yeah, so that, yeah, okay. So that, crash was very well studied and there was no one singular cause that caused everything but it was a multitude of factors so those factors were all not obvious while it was happening but one year on we know the exact things that happened so now you can finally start to investigate with accuracy and if you ever want to prepare yourself for a similar scenario now you know what to look out for because while something is happening, right, it's truly the worst time to, to know about it. Yeah, but it's also the time that we most want to know. Ah, it's such a dilemma. But you see the big shot, that guy, mm. with that, those inaccurate info and so many speculations, he decided yeah. to pump his whole fortune and he poof, made it big after the whole, like wow. through the whole crisis. So I really okay. think it's how you use information. Don't learn from that because that's a fluke. Like, that does not happen to everyone. It's just one person <laughs> or a few people. Yeah. Yeah, there might be some people that go the wrong way. Right? Like, instead of yeah. using it to, like, argue, I would say go and use it to take risks. Yeah. But you see, right, a lot of um, motivation la, for, mainta- for maintaining relevance, right, is about discussion so that I can talk to my friends about it and understand what they're talking about. And, like, these things, like these is what I'm referring to as arguing because in the end, you are just talking very pointlessly about something that doesn't matter to you at all. Yeah, I feel like a lot of content is like that. And I think the work salary men, they try to have some sort of responsible reporting. So of course, they want to do it responsibly as well. And they are also a 
media outlets. So they want to remain relevant as well. Lah. But relevant and accuracy, it's really a huge dilemma. So they have to weigh their content as well. Yeah, I feel like, cool. yeah. You can also think about like uh, encyclopedias or documentaries about a certain event like World War II, for example. There are still works about World War II that are still being produced today. There are still movies, there are still documentaries, historian commentaries, there are still people talking about those events today. Those things like, are kind of a bit more relevant because then you can look at it with more factual accuracy Yeah, instead of like back then where everything is very confusing. I think, well, you just really realize I'm a very true person. <laughs> you see, I, I think this is like, it's like trashy YouTube content. Mm, yeah. It's what you make of it. You can, you can watch all you want. It's what you make of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Lo. So it's really... It's really whole. La. Yeah. The reason why I say it like this is because I see this behavior in so many of my peers of the similar age group. Yeah. I feel like it's very common behavior that people... What is your main reason of staying relevant so that you can talk to other people, so that you can remain involved in the discussion today and that is such a stupid reason <laughs> like you don't like it don't do it la. yes exactly right? yeah but it's very difficult to con- convince people that that is a valid reason because it's as though being out of touch with anything right any content right is such a horrifying thing imagine not understanding the the latest reference that came up in a friend's conversation that would be a nightmare to a lot of people. That's why people hang on to the hope of like, I must remain relevant. I must watch all these dramas because my friends will talk about it. That kind of thing. It's a kind of a societal peer pressure kind of thing. Yeah. Don't, don't party. It's so stupid. It's like, exactly. I don't stop, I, I stop scrolling Instagram because I don't subscribe to their beauty standard. Good. Then if you good. want to scroll, <laughs> they stay woke. If you want to watch yeah. the news, they stay woke. Or that, the or end, change your friends. Yeah, in the end, it's really what you make of it, which is very powerful. Like, you have to be very strong and resilient. Yeah, I believe we both are okay. Like. Any last thoughts about anything that we have discussed earlier today? Any last thoughts? Uh... I feel like we have covered a lot of things. Some of the things are very, I feel like it's very personal to me. I'm a bit afraid of putting it out there, but I guess if I'm confident enough, I should have no problem with putting it out there. <laughs> Yeah, I guess what we what we talked about was not, not personal for me as well. So maybe I would like to end off probably on a note that I would wish to tell my younger self, uh-huh, and that's probably that to just mm-hmm. stay woke and really take the time to find out what you want. And if you know mm-hmm. what you want already, it, it doesn't matter what anyone says. It doesn't matter what speculations are out there. Take everything with a pinch of salt. Do your own research. Yeah. What about you? Any last thoughts? Very good advice. No, I don't have anything well-structured like you have. But that's very good advice. If you have a chance to go back and visit your past self, please come and visit my past self as well and tell that to him because I think past me was a real mess and really needs help. <laughs> yeah. We all are. We all are. We all yeah, were. <laughs> Oh yeah, we all will. If I ever mm. get to time travel, yeah, yeah, I'll make sure to hit <laughs> the younger you. Alright. Give you a good hit in the head. But nah, I guess, I, I feel we, we, we both turn up okay. What an egoistic thing to say. But I guess <laughs> we both turn up okay. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Thanks for talking to me tonight. It's been a great, wonderful talk. Yes, good talk. And thanks for listening to our podcast, whoever is out there. Our listeners, we'll just refer to them as listeners, like generically. <laughs> All right. Okay, okay. Have a good rest tonight. All right, have a good Stay night, safe. everyone. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yes, be safe. Bye.